Pampers Cruisers 360 is the must-have diaper to help keep your baby from taking it right off, which, if you've experienced this, can lead to complete chaos. With its 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your baby for a comfortable fit, your active baby can move freely. Think of it as baby yoga pants. Cruisers 360 offers a gap-free fit and has a blowout barrier at the back of the diaper to help stop any unwanted disasters. The best part? That stretchy waistband makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby, who is always on the move and can't be stopped. Just rip the sides to remove and roll it up with the disposal tape on the back. Voila! Pampers Cruisers are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. Pair with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, made from 100% plant-based cloth that grips the mess without fear of tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. This podcast is brought to you by the film Ezra from Bleecker Street, directed by Tony Goldwyn with an incredible ensemble that includes Robert De Niro, Bobby Cannavale, and Whoopi Goldberg. Ezra is a funny and endearing story about Max, a divorced father struggling to co-parent his autistic son, Ezra. When faced with difficult decisions about the future, they embark on a cross-country road trip that has a transcendent impact on both their lives. Deadline calls Ezra a touching testament to the power of love. In theaters May 31st. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of five, an author, journalist, and speaker. And this is Sarah Hart Unger. I'm a mother of three, a practicing physician, and blogger on the side. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. Here we talk about how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. This is Laura. This is episode 170, which is first airing in early November. We are going to be interviewing Claire Tancy, who is the author of Dinner Uncomplicated, which is a wonderful new cookbook that Sarah and I can recommend for people who are trying to get dinner on the table and busy life, busy families. Uh, so Sarah, I know you track your meals. Um, so we, we thought we'd talk about what we've been eating lately. And Sarah, in fact, can tell you in detail as if you would ask me to uh, how I spent, you know, October 16th, <laughs> you know, whatever, yeah. 2016. There's actually like multiple ways I could look this up because I also tend to, so we do put all of our meals with the kids activities on like a whiteboard. And then I snap a picture of it and send it to my husband and our nanny each week. So like we know times and cooking and that kind of stuff. So I have that plus I write it in my planner. So yes, I have like many ways of, of looking at it. One of my favorite episodes of I think it's the girls next door podcast where they do this is they'll like go through a week of dinners, like randomly like this is what we ate. Maybe it was mom hour as well. I think one of them may have 
done it after the other one did it. So I thought we should open the episode and do a similar thing and just talk about what we ate in the last week. So yes, yeah. do it. Yeah. So as we're recording this, it's mid-October. And if we go back to last Thursday, we had a turkey chili with cheese. You know what? I don't, I, I honestly don't know which recipe was used because I wanted it to be this pumpkin turkey chili from Real Simple. But there's been like a run on pumpkin and I can't find it at all. I don't know if it's a national shortage or just like it's not making it down to Florida, but like I cannot buy pumpkins. So we just had a different one. (laughs) Um, And I served it with tortilla chips and avocados. And the big kids really like this. Genevieve is a little picky with anything that's kind of tomato based. So I think she ate like a snack plate of the cheese and the avocado and the chips. And maybe I took some of the beans out of the chili and the meat and like put them on the plate. So that was Thursday. Friday was really boring because we ate the same thing because we have a lot of leftovers in our house. And I added goldfish instead of the chips for the kids, which was a very popular hit. So that works actually pretty well, like the little cheesy goldfish flavor flavor went with it. On Saturday, Josh was on call. um, And actually, he did not make it home for takeout night, which is really sad because usually when he's on call, he at least can make it for dinner. But in this particular one, he was not able to because his work has been insane lately. And we ordered pizza and we had it delivered with salad. And then because he wasn't there, in part, we had like so much extra pizza. And now my freezer is full of pizza. So that's cool. On Sunday, uh, you're going to hear about this later in the episode, but I made the butter tofu from our guest's cookbook and served it with rice and broccoli. However, I was not living a fantasy life where I thought the kids were going to eat butter tofu, even though they're not that selective. This was just like a little bit beyond what I would expect. So I did make a box of frozen chicken nuggets for them, which I rarely made make. And therefore, they were like enamored with these chicken nuggets. <laughs> um, on Monday, we had, which our nanny cooked, sweet potato chicken curry with naan, which was, I loved it. The kids did not like it, unfortunately. Um, My youngest one did eat it because we told her the sweet potato was pumpkin. And apparently she thought that was cool, like for Halloween. Anyway. Um, (laughs) And then yesterday, I think they had, or Tuesday, a fried egg on rice with snap peas, because again, they wouldn't eat that curry. And that's kind of what we'd planned. I had leftovers. And then yesterday, Laura, you're going to like die when you hear this is one of my kids' favorite things, which is really random, but they really like this chickpea and kale soup with Parmesan. (laughs) You can't see Laura, but she's making an ugly face. I don't know why like they won't eat certain things, but that they actually all three of them will eat and like. So we had that and I served it with some pita and they eat it. That sounds lovely. I'd eat it. You know, I know you would eat it. I would eat it. So (laughs) So I don't actually track my meals. But I can remember from the last week. And uh, so I'll just sort of talk through the week that we're in. Monday night, uh, Michael and I went out for our first date night in seven months. So that was fairly exciting. Um, We have childcare until seven on Mondays. So it worked to go for a quick dinner at six. And we went and got Mexican food margaritas on Monday night. Margaritas just makes Monday night every seal so much better. So that was great. I have no idea what the kids ate. Um, they were probably at that same box of chicken nuggets, which we don't view as a rare thing, <laughs> so, um, but they still like them. Uh, Tuesday, we had uh, one of our sun basket meal kits. We get two sun basket meal kits per week. This was chili made with, a, it was like a chorizo type chili with pumpkin seeds and coconut cream. And oh. I liked it. It was also incredibly spicy. And we only put like half the chili in that it was calling for. And it was still just like, I mean, our noses were running like crazy. The kids obviously didn't eat that either. 
I, I don't really even feel what they ate. Uh, Wednesday, so that's Michael cooked the second sun basket kit, which was turkey kebabs with squash and carrot ribbons um, with a Mediterranean dressing. It was good. I enjoyed it. The kids had something else. Um, Thursday, uh, I think we're going to have, we have some roast, we have all this acorn squash uh, from, I also get this Hungry Harvest box. Every other week we get a box. It's like 25 bucks if people want to sign up for this, but it's like a slightly damaged or irregular produce. And the idea is that you are creating a market for these goods that can't be sold in the supermarket, but are still good. I mean, they taste perfectly fine if your acorn squash has a slight blemish on it or is shaped funny. Um, So we're going to have roasted squash and probably just some sort of protein. And we got a lot of chicken breasts in the house or possibly sausages or something. I'm not really sure. Friday, we tend to do pizza, make your own pizza uh, with dough and cheese and sauce and stuff. Or we do DiGiorno's. Um, We always have those in the freezer. Saturday, lately, we've been doing football fair, chicken wings, nachos, you know, watching Texas A&M football games. That's sort of a fall tradition on Saturdays. Uh, But we we time shifted. So it's like we've taped it from earlier in the day because we can never actually go, you know, watch it at the time when it's on. So we do it at night. Sunday is one we just have to figure out if Michael has bought stuff in his weekly grocery trip. That's good. We do that. Uh, last week we did brats for the adults and hot dogs for the kids plus corn and tomato salad. So that's pretty standard kind of Sunday thing. The kids always have something that's either chicken nuggets, pasta, pizza, hot dogs. Like, you know, last night have, they had some you non- have any outlier kid that's more of a... Well, Sam, Sam is slightly more of an outlier, though he still doesn't really like our stuff. I mean, he'll eat the tomato salads. He'll eat whatever veggies we tend to put on her his plate. He, he likes stronger stuff like balsamic vinegar and pickles and mustard. But it's he's still not really... I mean, he he's given more to the kid stuff than ours. He doesn't really want to try our stuff. So there we go. I'm kind of past the point of caring about that. But anyway, that's what we're eating these days. I love it. Your football night in particular sounds really fun and cozy and yeah, nice. no, I like it. And the kids probably like the football fair, right? Well, I they think, don't eat the maybe? chicken wings. They won't eat the chicken wings, okay. but they'll eat the nachos, obviously. So yeah, you know, we perfect. tend to Make do nachos. wings and nuggets and nachos. I love exactly, it. exactly. All right. Well, let's hear what Claire has to say about all this. Well, Sarah and I are very excited to welcome Claire Tansy to the program. She is the author of the cookbook Dinner Uncomplicated, and she has some great advice for us on how to make dinner less, well, complicated. So, Claire, can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Oh, hi. Um, Yeah, so I'm Claire. Uh, I am a mom of one eight-year-old. I'm married. I live in Toronto, Canada. And uh, I've been a magazine editor uh, in the food world and a chef um, and a restaurant critic and kind of any job you can think of that has to do with food. Um, And in 2016, I kind of quit my big corporate job and decided to start doing things for myself. So I started essentially my own business called Claire Tansy's Kitchen. And I launched my first book, which is called Uncomplicated in 2018. And this is my new book, Dinner Uncomplicated. So I guess the second in the series. And it just came out last month. 
And I have to say that uh, both Laura and I um, ordered copies of this book. And it's really funny. Claire actually graciously offered to send it. We're like, too late. We already ordered it because it looks so good <laughs> that we both wanted it like ASAP. And um, it has lived up to its title. And so we'll talk a little bit more about some specific recipes in that book and, and how awesome it is. But that is great. So you've been kind of living the freelance own company lifestyle now. And your son is how old? He's eight, um, so he just started grade three. <laughs> In the chaos that is this year, he just started grade three. Yeah, and he's our only kid, and uh, he's a good boy most of the time. Awesome. Well, we will want to hear a little bit about, since you do have experience in feeding kids and kids who may or may not be more selective about what they eat, we'll definitely want to you to share some wisdom around that. But first, you promised to make dinner easier for our listeners. And I know that, you know, on this podcast, we have a lot of very busy women making it work. Some of them have help with cooking. Some of them absolutely do not. Um, some of them have their kids doing some of the cooking. So tell us, from your perspective, how do we make dinner easier? Yes, this is the the work of my life is making dinner easier. I really do. I believe so strongly that dinner doesn't have to be complicated to be delicious can also be actually the best part of our day. And it can lead to so many incredible benefits. And really, without being too fancy, it could be grilled cheese sandwiches. And, you know, there are scientific studies that prove that having dinner together with your family, uh, no matter how simple it is, if it's most nights of the week, you are getting benefits uh, in terms of your physical health, your mental health, your financial health, the planet's health, but best of all, in those family relationships. So I wanted to figure out a way to make that dinner ritual easier and more fun. And the way you do that is to reduce the stress around it. So um, this book in particular is divided up by time, how much time each recipe takes to cook. Because that was always, pre-COVID, that was always the number one obstacle that people came to me with, right? Like, oh, I don't have time to cook. I don't have time to cook. So I thought, well, okay, let's divide up the chapters so that the first chapter is 15-minute recipes. And I don't mean like 15-minute recipes like you may have seen on TV. Like, this is with nothing prepared, <laughs> with the oven not preheated. Like, you walk into your kitchen. I set a timer for myself when I'm developing these recipes. And you're eating in 15 minutes. So, uh, you know, a bunch of those recipes, because we all need those. No matter who you are, you need those quick recipes. And then the rest of the chapters kind of fall into line. There's a make-ahead chapter. There's um, a big chapter on how to stock the freezer in the really the smartest way. I call that the Sunday stash. Um, there's a set it and forget it chapter. So maybe you can, you know, take 10 minutes in the morning, chuck something in the slow cooker, or maybe take 10 minutes just before you go pick up the kids and then throw something in the oven for an hour. So it's those sort of like, finding those pockets of time. And I really wanted to set it up this way because I know that that's how my life is. There are some nights when I can take 45 minutes and listen to the radio and enjoy my, my night. But then there are other nights when we need to eat like actually five minutes ago. We have had many of those nights. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I love I love that they're separated. And I have not made that many recipes yet. I've made two so far. Um, but I was flipping through that really quick section because that does tend to be our scenario sometimes. And they do indeed look pretty quick. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, I'm always a, a little put off with the recipes that are like, it's it's 20 minutes. It's like, no, it's not. Yeah, <laughs> it's like 20 minutes. Yeah, if, if, you're, if, if, you're if I employ a sous chef, then, that's perhaps, right. Yeah, no, it's 20 no. minutes. <laughs> it was really fun developing that chapter because, so I've been a recipe developer and a recipe tester for almost 20 years. Um, so I really had to lean on every shortcut I could think of, every trick, every kind of like corner I could cut. 
with still having incredible results, right? So um, it was really fun. Like I truly, I would walk into the kitchen, I would start a stopwatch. <laughs> and if I wasn't eating at 15 minutes, I had to either revamp the recipe or cut it from the chapter. Very I cool. love that. So Clara, you recommend knowing, you know, three very simple recipes and always having the ingredients on hand um, as a way to sort of put off the dinner emergency issue. So what are your three simple recipes that you always have the stuff on hand? And if you have, you know, any others you suggest for listeners too, I'd love to hear those. Yeah, these are my back pocket dinners and they have saved me more time. Like they, they save you from takeout, right? Or they save you from um, from not from having cereal for dinner, I guess, <laughs> which is that does happen sometimes. So my three back pocket dinners are um, there's a pasta with butter and Parmesan. Um, I know it sounds like the simplest recipe. It it has been consistent. It was on my website. It was that, that's actually what my kids order all the time in restaurants. Exactly. <laughs> but my, mine too. And it, it's consistently the n- number one visited restaurant. A recipe on my website year after year, month after month after month. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm putting it in here because you know what? Pasta's packed with protein, butter and Parmesan are good ingredients. Let's get them on there. We eat that a lot. Sometimes my husband and I will put, ooh, peas and maybe chili flakes in it. Um, But we have pasta with butter and parm. I also always keep a can of black beans in the cupboard. And I always have tortillas or wraps or some kind of bread product and cheese in the fridge. And so I can make black bean quesadillas in a blink of an eye. And our third one is usually it's of an egg based. So because we always have eggs. And so um, there's something in the new book called a Dutch baby. It's a cheesy Dutch baby. And it's imagine like a a pancake and a crepe and an omelet kind of get together. You cook it in a big cast iron pan. It's four ingredients. It puffs up in this beautiful, magical scientific experiment kind of a thing. It looks like either if you're familiar with popovers or Yorkshire pudding and it's packed with cheese and eggs and it's just so yummy and it's ready so fast. And I serve that with a salad and we all love that. So those are my three back pocket dinners. I always say something based on pasta is really smart because that's something you can just keep in the pantry. Something based on eggs is usually pretty smart because, again, we almost always have eggs in the kitchen. And then something based on like a can of something, whether it's a can of tuna or a can of black beans or a can of chickpeas, those are really smart back pocket dinners. My kids in particular love black bean anything. So yeah, it's great. Wow. And then you can you can you can stockpile them. <laughs> exactly. When they're <laughs> on they sale, you're like, yeah, I'll take twelve. Sure. <laughs> so I think my children have not allowed a black bean to pass their lips. Um, but we will get to that. We will. We will. <laughs> yes. Let's actually take a quick break and then we will be right back and we can talk a little bit about selective eating. All right, we are back. And where we left off, we were talking a little bit about how some kids tend to be, you know, the word pickiness has actually gone out of style, because it has a little bit of a negative connotation. I prefer the word selective, even though my kids are actually not that selective, but still for my patients and in general. Claire, I want you to talk a little bit about your super taster tendency, Mm -hmm. and how that might play into selective eating, and then some of the strategies that you have used for your son to get him to venture out a little bit. So I'm with you. Uh, picky eating to me is just normal, normal kids. Um, you know, if you look at evolution, it actually makes a lot of evolutionary sense for kids to become very selective and very choosy about what they eat at around the same age that 
if you think about it, our ancestors thousands and thousands of years ago, at the same age that they'd be walking away from the group for the first time. So they have to naturally become fussy and selective so that they don't eat poison berries and they don't kill off the line, right? So if you think about it in that way, picky eating, selective eating is absolutely normal behavior for kids. Now, the other thing is kids, again, back to that evolutionary thing, all their, all their tongues want at that age in their life is a sweetness. So they just want, like, they just want carbohydrates, right? Cause that's what your body needs for energy. Um, and so that may, means, yeah, they just want soy sauce or bread and butter or plain pasta with butter and parmesan. That is totally normal, totally normal behavior. Bitter flavors and more complex flavors and stronger flavors like, you know, sardines and blue cheese, those come along as our brains get evolved and we can train ourselves to learn to love those things. Now, that said, as you mentioned, Sarah, I am a super taster. So that's a genetic condition where I have more taste buds on my tongue than the average person. They they call it super taster, but there's not really too much super about it because it means that you taste things really, really intensely. And I've noticed it my whole life. Um, but then when I was pregnant, holy moly, it was like supercharged. And I couldn't smell eggs cooking without feeling nauseous. And then the other two flavors that really started to bother me when I was pregnant was blue cheese and lamb. So two flavors that I normally love, but which we would all agree are kind of stronger flavors. And it was almost a physical reaction, like I couldn't even be in the room if they were being cooked. And so that stayed with me after I had the baby and now eight years later, and I'm still like, I still have that super taster issue, which means there are some bitter foods I really can't eat. There are some really pungent um, foods that I can't eat. I just, they're just too strong for me. It's like I get a sensory overload. So really strong blue cheese, something like a pickled egg, uh, you know, it's just too much for me. Or my husband really loves things like kidneys and liver. And that is an absolute zero for me. Now, I told you it's genetic. And so guess who got it? My kid, my eight-year-old kid. And from the time he was four, maybe even younger than four, he can taste the difference completely unprompted between an organic chicken and a supermarket chicken. And so you think, oh, fantastic. Isn't that great? Wow, what a great... No, that is a problem for a parent. Like... <laughs> bad problem. He, he loves sausages. Um, I got sausages from our local Italian grocer. They put fennel seeds in them. He tells me it tastes like black, black licorice. I can't eat this. It tastes like black licorice. He's right. <laughs> He's right. It doesn't make it any less annoying. Um, so I, so I've, I realized pretty early on that this was going to be well, an issue, you know, I didn't want to make it a big deal, but it's an issue. And I studied a lot about children and selective eating and children's palates. And I did a lot of deep research onto it, into it, and came up with this uh, solution, which is a philosophy that's pretty common now amongst dietitians and educators when it comes to kids eating, which is the philosophy is that it's the parent's responsibility to provide nutritious meals in a pleasant environment at regular intervals. And it is the child's responsibility to decide what, if, and in fact, how much to eat. So what that looks like in practical terms at our table is that everything is always served family style. So stuff is right in the middle of the table. It's great for kids, even quite young, to learn how to serve themselves. It's really good for their fine motor skills, actually. Yeah, it's going to be a bit messy, but uh, hey, you know, put a, throw a tarp down. Like, it's going to be okay. It's better that. And there's always something in that kind of family style buffet that my I know my kid will eat. My friends, that has been crackers and butter many a night, bread and butter, uh, plain rice, plain pasta, plain uh, French homemade French fries. Um, so it's that is sort of the anchor of the dinner. 
and then there's no pressure. You don't have to eat it. It's a liberating phrase. You don't have to eat it. And instead, we focus on the dinner table being a place where the three of us um, come together every day, almost without fail. And we're there together in a kind of a low stress, low stakes environment. And that is where we're getting the benefit. So that's where we're building those family relationships. We are saving money. It's good for our mental health. It's good for our physical health. It's good for the planet. And it's that repetitious, near on boring, ritual that really is the foundation of our family. And I really trust that eventually my son is going to see his dad and I enjoying ourselves, tasting a lot of different foods. And in an environment where there's no pressure, he's going to feel comfortable to reach out and start tasting some stuff. That sounds, yeah, like a good, (laughs) I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will get there. I have to admit, as I'm listening to you, I'm like, oh, that sounds so nice. Because I mean, in our house, we don't typically gather for dinner. I gather sometimes with the kids, depending on my time frame. My husband is rarely, he's a surgeon and rarely done in time for dinner, except on the weekends, in which case, um, especially with date night being a thing of the past <laughs> lately, <laughs> we typically do eat dinner together as a family on Saturday and Sunday. And I do, I will say I enjoy that ritual. So I guess I will say to listeners, if you're in my boat and it can't be an everyday thing, or if it has to be in some kind of altered form, like maybe it's just the mom and the kids someday, and the other half, the kids, you know, the other day, whatever it is, um, it doesn't mean there can't be some some healing powers to it. Because I, I love the image, what you said, you know, yeah. relaxing at the end of the day together and no pressure. Yeah, that's that. it. And, and and to your point, yeah, if it's more, you don't want people kind of sitting in front of the TV and eating or grabbing a snack and then lying in their bed doing their homework and eating. Like if everybody's in the house at something that looks like either dinner time or lunchtime or breakfast time, get together at the table, turn off those screens and, uh, you know, just spend some time together. Now, I'm not going to say those conversations are always meaningful, especially now that we've been trapped together for seven months. Uh, early in the <laughs> pandemic, my husband was building a shed. It was all he could talk about. My son was playing hours and hours and hours of Minecraft, the video game Minecraft, all he could talk about. And I sat at the table and I said to them, that's it. Not one more word about sheds or Minecraft at this table. <laughs> dead silence for the rest of the dinner. We're like, you, you took away our topics. I mean, like, there Fine. is nothing else. <laughs> I'd rather have silence than to listen to that. No, no, exactly. There's this funny, very funny and cute stage where like the big kids will talk about Minecraft and then like our youngest, because she just wants to be involved, will start talking about Minecraft, even though she has no idea. Like she'll just join in like, oh yeah, and Minecraft, oh, what? Yeah. we're like, you don't play Minecraft. <laughs> oh, but it's I really cute. So speaking of family meals, you say you post your family's favorite meals somewhere and that this helps you with planning. Mm-hmm. It seems like a very simple hack, but why, why is this so important to do? Yeah, I love these analog hacks. So we, it's literally a piece of loose leaf paper and we all contribute to it and we write down what our favorite meals are. And we have a list now, I don't know, our list is probably about 18 or so meals. Um, And it's meals that we all like or that it's somebody's favorite. And I keep that taped to the inside of my cupboard door because you know, one of the big roadblocks between an average person and making dinner can be, I don't have an idea of what to make. And if you have this very simple, very easy to access list of meals that you know you and your family like, it can just overcome that roadblock in a heartbeat. So if you're like, oh gosh, it's two o'clock, what's for dinner? And you can look at that list and quickly go, oh, spaghetti meatballs. Yep. You know what? I've got some ground meat. And so it can kind of just be that little stepping stone over one of those big roadblocks. There are five big roadblocks to dinner and not having enough time and not having an idea are the two most like 
worst ones that are going to prevent you from making dinner. What are the other three? Because now oh, you've set yourself up. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, number three is not having the groceries. Like you don't have the stuff in the house for what you want to make. Number four is not having the right equipment or feeling like you don't have the skills. And that can be, you know, that something requires you to spatchcock a chicken or it requires a spiralizer and you don't have one. And the fifth one, the fifth one is actually the toughest one to overcome because it's what we just talked about. It's, it's what I call being out of sync when not everybody will eat the same thing at the same table. And so that can be a selective eater as a kid. It can be a teenager who's decided to become vegan. It can be a spouse who's given up carbs because they're training for a marathon. It can be a number of different things. Um, but when you don't have, um, when you don't have everybody willing to eat the same meal, it can be pretty hard to be motivated to cook anything. Yeah, the uh, multiple meals thing is always uh, annoying. Um, but you know, we've just, there's, <laughs> I, you know, I like to think of it in terms of the, there's always something and the table that they like. I mean, the fact that I'm actually making pasta separately from a dinner, it's not that it's a separate dinner. It's just that there's something on the table that, that they like. I, I, I love all food and it's a source of great annoyance to me (laughs) that my children (laughs) do not love all food. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the hacks that I know many of our listeners rely on, and you've mentioned as well as the whole rotisserie chicken, Mm -hmm. um, which is not something we ever bought growing up, but I have come to see the genius in. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your favorite rotisserie chicken hacks. Mm, Love, love rotisserie chicken. And I was determined with this book to come up with at least a couple of recipes that could take that rotisserie chicken and within 15 minutes, turn it into something that wasn't just picking apart the chicken with your fingers and (laughs) maybe spreading mayonnaise on a piece of toast with it. So one of the ways I I like to elevate it is to make couscous. So couscous takes five minutes, you know, you just boil some water. And into the couscous, if you just add like a handful of either raisins or currants and a few spices, you can actually turn that into what I call a couscous pilaf. Spread that out on on a platter and then carve up the chicken and serve it over top. It is magnificent. And it makes that rotisserie chicken feel like it's going to the prom. Like it is so delicious. Um, so, and and really, truly five minutes to make the couscous and then maybe five minutes to carve up the chicken you're eating. So really, really simple. The other one, which actually is my current favorite recipe right now, uh, although I love them all, love them all, but this one's my current favorite. It's, um, it's our sesame ramen salad with chicken. So I told you in that 15 minute chapter, I was looking for every shortcut and every trick I could, in the book. And I realized that ramen noodles, the staple of my university college days, were like they cook in three minutes. So if you you get yourself some ramen noodles, throw out the seasoning packet. You don't need that. Just boil them up. And then I make a pretty simple but yummy sauce with some natural peanut butter and soy sauce and a bit of vinegar and a bit of ginger. Mix that up. Toss that with these noodles and then add some sliced rotisserie chicken and a little bit of sliced celery. I've always got celery in the fridge. It seems to last forever, but it's fantastic. It's got such great crunch and brightness. That is a spectacular dinner. So you've got these gorgeous ramen noodles. They're super fun to look at. Like kids love ramen noodles, right? They're all squiggly. And this incredible sauce that truly tastes like it came from a gourmet shop. The tender chicken, the crunch from the celery, it's ready in 10 minutes. It is so, so yummy. You'll never feel like you're just eating grocery store shortcuts again. I'm totally going to make that. Um, I didn't mention it yet, but one of the recipes that we did try and my kids all raved about it, like three for three gobbling it was the, I think it's called scallion 
salmon noodles. And it is also made with ramen noodles. And you whip together a sauce and you roast some salmon, you basically throw it all together. And like they went wild. So I feel like this would probably be even easier because yeah. it uses rotisserie chicken <laughs> and and probably as much of a hit because I do know they've liked peanut sauce in other forms before. So that that salmon that salmon with the scallion sauce, I don't get it, but it's a huge hit with kids. I'm, people are emailing me just yesterday saying my, my kids are eating salmon and ramen. It's fantastic. So, I think they uh, love the noodles and they're yeah. nice and silky and mm -hmm. that sauce has a little bit of sweetness to it, mm -hmm. but it's also savory and I guess that helps them to overlook the scallions, which is like my favorite part. So there you go. <laughs> so Claire, if you are going to do some prep on weekend, we have sort of mixed feelings on this podcast uh -huh, about uh -huh, spending uh -huh. weekend time meal prepping. But if you are in the mindset that you wish to do that, uh, what what are the most efficient, you know, bang for your buck things to actually do on the weekend to, to get ahead for the week? <laughs> I love that you have mixed feelings. I have mixed feelings about it too. <laughs> so. I thought, what's the what's the best use of my time if I can find an hour on the weekend? I don't really want to make, say, like a batch of chili and put it in the freezer because personally, I get tired of that. Either I get tired of it or it just goes into the freezer and then it never comes out again. <laughs> so I thought, okay, how about instead I... I I prep some building blocks for dinners. Um, so that's what the Sunday Stash chapter is about. And it's four basic recipes that you can make in bulk. Um, there's a bolognese sauce. There's a really simple parsley pesto. So yummy. Um, there's a whole grain. So any whole grain could be brown rice, could be farro, could be barley that you cook in big batches. And then there's a brothy beans. So you take dried beans, cook them and make this lovely broth. Very, very simple. Then you freeze those recipes in um, three separate portions. And then what you get in the book is three different ways to use those building blocks. So instead of just making one meal and then having to eat that three times, you're actually creating 12 different meals for yourself. So with the pesto, for example, you make this really simple parsley pesto. It takes 10 minutes. And honestly, it takes the same amount of time to make a triple batch as it does to make a single batch. Divide it into three Ziplocs, put it in the freezer, and then one night you can make you know, roasted chicken breast with a little bit of mozzarella and some pesto and tomato on it. Another night you could do pasta with um, a bit of spinach or greens and some pesto in there. And then on the third night, you can make uh, something else with pesto. Like you could do, I can't even remember what's in the book now, but you'd have a third <laughs> recipe. Um, I'm actually now going to have to look it up. It is, um, oh gosh. Oh yes, it is cheesy pesto. It is cheesy pesto and ham calzones. So a little bit of store-bought pizza dough. Sorry for the delay there. You know, and your brain won't allow you to do that. And so you make calzones. So you've got three completely different meals there that you've really made with one of your building blocks. And it's the same with the other building blocks that um, you stock in the freezer. So it's really like prepping yourself for special different meals and not just getting something made and then having to thaw it and, uh, and eat it again and again and again. Now, if that's your jam, fantastic. I got to recommend the ginger <laughs> chicken meatballs because they freeze like a dream and uh, kids love them too. And there's a really simple glaze that goes with them. But if not, then yeah, get some brothy beans on the go. And then you've got all kinds of different options that you can make. And you could actually like use it as part of your Sunday. If you did it on Sunday, for example, make a nice pasta bolognese and then save exactly. the rest of it for later in the week from the freezer. I exactly. Like or even two or three weeks from now, right? Like, I mean, ideally, if you are really doing it, if you are really doing it in a smart way, ultimately by like the end of the month, you'd have 17 different things in your freezer and you can just choose. We just like being at the store. 
This is like the ultimate goal here. Um, well, very cool. Sarah, did you have any other questions for, for Claire? Um, what are you making for dinner tonight? <laughs> um, so it was Canadian Thanksgiving this past weekend. So she's got, she's got leftovers. She's got leftovers. So even though it was just three of us, we had a whole turkey and a whole ham. So uh, last night we had turkey pot pie. And so tonight we are doing, my husband is British. So he wants something called ham, eggs and chips. And so he's in charge, my friends. And I will just smile and nod and be very grateful that somebody else did the cooking. Sounds lovely. Awesome. <laughs> well, Claire, we end with our love of the week, which is something that is really cool for us um, this week. I can uh, start and Sarah can go next to give you just a little chance to think about it. I have been enjoying making myself oatmeal for breakfast. I do uh, quick cooking, Quaker oat type stuff. I mix in a little bit of granola and cut up apples and peanut butter. And so it's just like got everything in it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just uh, powers me up for, for the rest of the day. How about you, Sarah? Well, okay. First, I have, feel like I have to give a shout out to the other recipe that I have made from Claire's cookbook, which is the butter tofu and was totally delicious. Um, but I will also do a mild spin on what Laura said and tell you all that my new favorite cereal is Quaker oatmeal squares. And I'm slightly obsessed with it, particularly <laughs> the cinnamon flavor, which feels very fall. So there you go. I'm an adult I'm eating Quaker oatmeal. Adult eating, yes. <laughs> sugar cereal in the morning. That's awesome. <laughs> How about you, Claire? Okay, well, I'll, let's keep it on theme. I, I was found myself wandering through the grocery store the other night. I was actually shopping for work, but I was hungry. Uh, it's true, you know, you should never grocery shop when you're hungry. And there I was in the, in the cereal aisle. And I was attracted to this Kellogg's cereal that has coconut and cranberries and almonds in it. And it was on sale. So I bought a box of that Ladies, I came right home. I made myself a bowl of it. I sat down. I watched some TV and had cereal in front of the TV by myself. We know how special those moments can be. <laughs> so that that I feel like could be repeated tonight and maybe the next night too. That sounds simple that sounds lovely. pleasure. <laughs> exactly. It's the little things. All right. Well, Claire, thank you so much for joining us. And for all our listeners, please pick up a copy of Dinner Uncomplicated, um, which is the newest cookbook from Claire Tansy. And uh, Sarah can vouch that there's some great recipes in there that her kids have been eating. My kids are, you know, we're, we're, we're a work in progress, but her kids will eat Claire's food. <laughs> so uh, that is a great shout out for it there. So Claire, thanks for joining us. Such a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, guys. All right. Well, that was a wonderful episode with great dinner ideas. I think we've all decided that it's perfectly okay to serve butter and Parmesan noodles <laughs> because we have an official, uh, you know, food person uh, making that for her family. So um, our question this week is a little different. Comes from a listener who says she comes from a traditional family where women are expected to stay home full time with their children. And even in her extended family, she can only think of a very small number of people who work and raise kids simultaneously. This listener says she is currently in medical school and hopes to one day have a few kids while still working full time. She says her family is actually supportive of her professional dreams, but then not her dreams of being a mother. They'll make comments like, I'm not sure you'll have time to be a good mom. How do you recommend dealing with comments like this? Well, Sarah, since you are our resident physician here with children, I thought maybe you could you could give some insight into this. Yeah, I mean, well, I think part of it, Laura and I both agree, which is like, you know, what they think they can think, but you can surely prove them wrong. And hopefully over time, it won't matter as much what they initially thought 
Anyway, but I think, uh, you know, proving it by doing it and, of course, looking for support from colleagues and especially if you can find any colleagues with a similar cultural background. And maybe you could even, you know, mention that to your family. Hey, this person is also ex. I don't know what this person's background is and has four kids and is, is thriving and, and her kids are going to Harvard or whatever, <laughs> whatever mark of success looks like in, in your culture or, or background. And perhaps with some examples that may help. But there's also just some aspect of like, you know, once you're an adult, it is your life to live. And hopefully they will still love you and you'll be able to show them what is possible. Yeah, I, I just think, you know, I mean, one is like they, I mean, clearly, it's like half the people going into medicine now are women. And I think they're not even aware that there there are actually some real family-friendly aspects of it. I mean, this, la- this lady says she wants to work full-time, but in fact, physicians have the ability usually to go part-time without a huge career penalty, which is not necessarily the case for a great many other um, professions. And plus, you know, it tends to pay pretty well even for part-time work. And so that's something that uh, is, you know, once you get through the training, it's it's entirely um, different. But, you know, it's it's also like you have to live your own life. I mean, it, it part of a, being an adult is recognizing that your relatives don't actually have to like your choices. And like, nobody actually will ever like all of your choices. And so what? <laughs> I mean, it's like, ultimately, people don't care that much. I mean, they care about you, but they're living their own lives too. And they're in their own little lives. And so whatever they're bringing to the table, they're, A, they're probably not thinking about it day to day. You're the one who's thinking about it, not them. They'll just say something random based on whatever they're thinking at the moment, but it's not like they're spending all their time thinking about it. Nobody will ever like all your choices, so you don't have to worry. I mean, you can always just parry back on any rude comments by saying, oh, well, you know, no one could ever live up to your example, but I'll do my best when we get there. I mean, these are these are theoretical children and a theoretical medical career that don't actually even exist yet. So I think, you know, we can cross that bridge when we get to it. Well, this has been Best of Both Worlds. We've been interviewing Claire Tanzi about Dinner Uncomplicated, uh, sharing what we are eating as well. And we will be back next week with more on making work and life fit together. Thanks for listening. You can find me, Sarah, at theshoebox.com or at the underscore shoebox on Instagram. And you can find me, Laura, at lauravandercam.com. This has been the Best of Both Worlds podcast. Please join us next time for more on making work and life work together. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. 
I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilbur Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.